Hello everyone and welcome to Luke Lore, a quick deep dive into a folklore topic where I share some of the stories from around the world that have piqued my interest. For this episode I want to take on a personal bogeyman, Mimics. If you want to get under my skin, a good Mimic story will do the job. Part of the problem comes down to why an entity may be mimicking something else. With neither broad approach being good, there's mimicking to hide, which is more than worrying enough. Then there is also predatory mimicry that looks to lure prey in, and this one burns my brain. Anytime I come across a paranormal account where someone hears a family member calling out to them, and then it turns out the actual person couldn't have been where the voice comes from, that freaks me out. I got goosebumps just typing about it. So, time for some exposure therapy for me, and some sharing the terror for everyone else, as we face one of my fears head on. The things that hide in plain sight, and what motive they may have for doing so. The Major Namesake I'm using the term Mimic as it offers a lot more scope, and this is certainly a worryingly large field to cover, but there's a very common term for specifically a person being copied. Doppelganger A cool term given to us by the Germans, up there with such hits as Schadenfreude and Poltergeist. Doppelganger simply means an apparition or double of a living person. It's a direct compound noun of double and walker or goer. As ubiquitous as the term is now, it's actually relatively recent, yet its usage has extended to become an umbrella term for all of this type of common story among all cultures around the world. It appears as though the publication of The Night Side of Nature by Catherine Crow in 1848 was where the term began to take off, and Doppelganger has stuck around since then. As inherently unnerving as Doppelganger is, stories of encounters with them tend to be pretty simple. Simple, sadly, not meaning safe here as the most common stories of doppelgangers tend to be that of a deaf omen. A family member will spot a doppelganger somewhere their relative should not be. There are, for example, a lot of wartime doppelganger stories where someone who was fighting overseas gets spotted around their home when they are in fact still miles away. Quite often the story goes that at the same time this kind of doppelganger is seen is when the person being copied has died. This puts these apparitions as some sort of ghost as much as a deaf omen, potentially being a brief last visit but doppelgangers certainly get weirder. Seeing your own doppelganger is almost always a prelude to a bad time, although there are exceptions to this one, it's just weird instead. Percy Shelley, husband of Mary Shelley, was supposed to have dreams of meeting himself whenever he was ill. Not itself too strange, but for the final time he had one of these dreams right before he died, someone else also saw the doppelganger in the same location as the one in the dream, walking on the garden terrace. It's definitely literature doppelgangers tend to get more menacing, which may be where the reputation for evil comes from. There's something about the idea of a double that looks exactly like you that's inherently unnerving, even compared to something as relatively simple, however unwelcome, as a brief death omen. There's certainly a fear of being replaced here, or else the loss of self, the subsuming of your individuality, an existential threat that hits us right in the ego. In horror stories, this could be broadly metaphorical, or a very simple reading that alien pods from outer space are replacing us. Random side note, the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Statues is my personal favourite. There's almost always a malevolence to these stories in fiction. It's invariably the evil doppelganger, and not the just-as-confused-as-you-are doppelganger. An Evolutionary Response the weird feelings a mimic can stir up are borderline phobic. It's just... icky. And there's some science to this knee-jerk impulse. 
time for a quick trip to the Uncanny Valley and some speculation on why we do not want to be there. The Uncanny Valley is a phenomenon where if something looks almost like a human, but not quite, it becomes unnerving. Uncanny, as it were. The term comes from the appearance of a graph plotting the effect in the emotional response people have to almost human robots. Once something looks too similar to a human, but it isn't quite close enough, there's a negative response that bottoms out in between these two things. That part of the graph being called the Uncanny Valley. Computer-generated animations tend to fall foul of this when they get too close but not quite close enough to how a person looks. The 2004 movie The Polar Express is an infamous example of this. It's notoriously lambasted for looking creepy, as everything looks close to human, but there's just something dead-eyed about the characters that really stands out. That same year also saw the release of The Incredibles by Pixar Studios, who used exaggerated characteristics to give a much more cartoon-like appearance to their animated humans, with a style that holds well today without being accidentally terrifying. To highlight the difference, you can Google the reverse tunification of The Incredibles, where an artist has brought the design closer to human, and it dives right off the deep end of the uncanny valley. There are some interesting possibilities behind why people are freaked out by this effect. The simplest is abjection. The rejection of that which goes against the established order. We can, with a glance, identify a fake face thanks to a variety of minor indicators, and it then sets off internal alarm bells. The Uncanny Valley Graph by roboticist Masahiro Mori posits one theory in its labelling, with both corpse and zombie marked out at the bottom of the emotional response lines. That to be close, but not quite right, somewhere between the cute or abstract and total fidelity to the real thing, comes an instinctive fear of death. What is no longer quite human is a dead human, and to be avoided, a sense of mortality being what's triggering the uncanny valley response. Yet there's another possibility here, something else that's instinctive or though no longer relevant, well, hopefully no longer relevant. As hominids evolved, there were a total of nine distinctive branches walking the earth at one time or other. There's only a single genetic line left now, and that is us. We ultimately managed to outcompete our evolutionary cousins. We outfought them, we were more adaptable to environmental hazards, or else outbred them with dominant genetic traits. It is indeed possible to have a small percentage of Neanderthal or Denisovan DNA in your heritage, especially if you are of Eurasian ancestry, showing we overlapped with these now gone others. Yet we may, on an instinctive level, react to this other our instincts automatically flagging that what we are looking at is part of an outgroup, not another member of Homo sapiens. This, then, has further led to some fantastical speculation. That of a natural predator at one time, something that looked a lot like us which wasn't quite right, that hopefully is no longer sharing the world with us. And the ancestors who didn't react with alarm didn't get to go on to have descendants. Although that being said, given that Homo sapiens are the last hominid standing, I have an awkward feeling that we were the natural predator of the other evolutionary branches. The good folk are at it again. I mentioned before that the doppelganger was only embraced as a general term relatively recently, with less than 200 years being recent as far as folklore tracks. The Celtic folklore native to the British Isles has multiple examples of this. Fairy creatures are generally tricksters and shapeshifters, but there are two pretty big specific examples of doubles. What's most well known is like that of a changeling, a fairy child swapped with that of a human baby. I'll leave this one for another time though. 
The closest to the core concept of the doppelganger is a fetch, or a fetch life. A fetch at its simplest overlaps pretty directly with doppelganger stories. They just appear in a confusing manner, and are quite often an omen of either misfortune or even death. There are some variations in stories wherein seeing a fetch first thing in the morning is a fortuitous omen of a long life, which in its own way still is a death omen, but a comforting one reassuring you it's a ways off yet. A hallmark of the British fetch is that it tends to be a little insubstantial, either faded, shadow-like, or just given the impression of lacking in weight. Anyone attempting to follow the fetch will find they vanish as soon as they lose sight of it, such as turning a corner only to find it gone. Encountering a fetch at night is a worrying one. While the fetch itself is not known to be malicious, it's definitely bad news. The saying goes that should you see a fetch at night, the person being copied will only last as long as the sod of turf in the fireplace. It's a countdown to the inevitable. There is, however, a bonus more disturbing type of fetch. There are tales of people waking up at night to realise there is someone else in their bed when they should be alone. The story then tends to go they freeze up when they realise this, which seems a rational response more than an unnatural compulsion. Once the full realisation has hit that this is not their partner or pet weighing down the bed next to them, and they become bold enough to check the intruder, they'll be met by their own fetch in the form of a corpse. They see themselves dead, a cadaver copy which was next to them under the covers, and from there it's the usual death omen. They won't last to see the morning. Allegedly, Elizabeth I saw such a fetch on the night of her death, servants responding to her panic on the night of her death passing on the story, although the death of royalty tends to get heavily mythologised, so make of that what you will. It feels cruel to be woken on your final night by your own dead body, but it also gives a chance to say your goodbyes. After the initial screaming and waking up everyone else you can because you just played Little Spoon to a cold apparition of your own remains, its reputation as something Fae fits with the duality of the give-and-take such an event represents, being something of a random banshee for anyone, not just a specific family like the banshees are supposed to follow. It's still skin-crawlingly creepy, though. A bird mimic and a menace. In paranormal stories around the world, it's not always people who are getting mimicked. The same unnerving possibilities remain that of something sinister hiding itself right out in the open. There's more than a few among Native American folklore. The Raven Mocker is a feared witch of the Cherokee tradition, that they have a very simple yet terrifying motivation. For every heart of the sick or elderly they consume, their own life shall be extended by however long the chosen victim should have lived. Able to shapeshift, they can appear as an elderly person, as a raven to move around rapidly. In some stories, they can change into a Bigfoot or in some stories they can change into a Bigfoot or Sasquatch-type ape-man when cornered and ready to fight. Or my personal least favourite, they can become invisible to feed unnoticed. Once a victim is selected, the raven mocker will live up to their name, announcing their intent with imitated raven calls. Not quite right, definitely unnatural. From there, they'll try to sneak indoors to torment the chosen victim, able to beat them without leaving a mark, purely sadistically, ultimately even able to consume their heart while not leaving any trace of the deed on the victim's skin. Medicine men and women strong enough in their craft can always spot a raven mocker, even when they're invisible. Should they do this, the raven mocker will die in seven days, so practitioners may be hired to watch over the sick to keep them safe while they recover especially if a weird raven call has been heard. 
As dangerous as they otherwise are, the Raven Mocker is a sneak attacker who must avoid detection by someone with strong enough medicine. Vigilance is what best defeats them, and taking care of your sick or elderly will starve them out. Their diverse selection of forms to mimic is what makes them stand out. Announcing themselves with bird call, passing for an elder, or even completely vanishing from sight, they definitely fit the bill for alarming mimics, even if they're less widely known than something such as the Navajo Skinwalker. A story. I mentioned in the introduction a mimic makes up the type of ghost story that really gets to me, so I found one to share. A nice quick one, as this came about as a part of the two-sentence horror story trend. A girl heard her mom yell her name from downstairs, so she got up and started to head down. As she got to the stairs, her mom pulled her into her room and said, I heard that too. The whole idea of a mimic luring you away and why it might be doing it. Goosebumps again. There's also an award-winning short film made from this called I Heard It Too. If you want to see the concept brought to life, probably don't watch it before bed though. You've been warned. So, that was Mimics Out of My System. For now, anyway, there's plenty more folklore that dabbles with the topic. Let me know if Mimics make you feel as skittish as they do me. It'll be interesting to get a sense of numbers on this one. Luke Law is a Ghost Story Guys production. If you do want to contact me, there's a show's dedicated email, lukelawgsg at gmail.com, and the general show email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Both myself and the main show are really easy to find on Facebook and Twitter if you want to make day-to-day contact, as well as a very active Instagram account with a lot of the community gets involved in. The Luke Law Instagram is now picking up pace, and there should hopefully be more news soon on the Discord. I just want to make sure I get that one right first time, and I've been pretty busy so far. If you want to support the show directly, there's our Patreon at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We do have Luke merchandise available at the Ghost Story Guys online store. Feel very free to show off the any you get online. As ever though, the absolute best thing anyone who did support the show is to give it a listen. Share this around if you think you may know someone who may be interested. Leave a review if you get the chance to help signal boost me. And most of all, I simply hope you enjoy what I'm doing here. Goodbye for now.